As you can see, I am not Dylan and Liam. I am, in fact, Sam, and I'll be bringing you tonight's Bible reading. Tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 23. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of the work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take in believing wife, wife along with us? As do the other apostles in the Lord's brothers. Or Cephas. Or, as, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? I, I, do, I say this merciful, do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is trying, uh, while it is tending out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely He says this for us, does doesn't He? Yes, this is written for us, because when the plowman plows, and the thresh and the thresher thrashes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, it is too much if we reap a material harvest from you. If others have this right of support from, from you, shouldn't we have it all, all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put it up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive a living from the gospel. But I am not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast." Yet, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If, I, if not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel... I may offer it free of charge, and so not to make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, 
though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It's been a while since I've been here, I think. How about we pray before we have a look at this text? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're the creator God. You rule over the whole world, Lord. And in your sovereignty, in your goodness, you sent your son Jesus, that we can have a relationship with you, that we can be saved, free, right, forgiven. Lord, you give us the privilege to open your word tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you'll work uh, through your word by your spirit. Lord, convict us of your son Jesus. And Lord, help us to live for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the things uh, growing up in Australia that I found is that we Aussies love meat. We love our meat, don't we? Whether it's meat pies, meat lovers pizza, or meat on the barbie. We love our meat and we, take, we even take up so much pride in it too. Uh, some of you might have been to the Norman Hotel. Uh, as you go in, you're greeted with a huge sign that says, Brisbane's worst vegetarian restaurant. Well, imagine if I said to you tonight that I will never eat meat again. If you know me, if you follow my Facebook, you'd probably be saying, well, what happened, Josh? Are you for real? And if you didn't know me that well, you'd probably be thinking, okay, that's strange. Uh, something's not right about this guy, and we'll see how long this lasts. Well, this is what Paul said to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians, they also love their meat like us. In fact, uh, they could just walk out uh, of their houses to the local butcher uh, next to the pagan temple, and they could get the best cut steaks. Think about it, marble grade 12, grain-fed Kobe beef, sacrificed to the local pagan god, and available right on their doorstep. And it's, it's in this kind of context that Paul says at the end of chapter 8, if you flick back, it says, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. And from this statement, some people in Corinth were saying, are you kidding, Paul? Give up meat? We're Gentiles. We're free in Christ. We're free to eat and drink whatever we want. And then others uh, in Corinth, they were saying, is Paul really an apostle? Sometimes he says it's okay to eat. And then sometimes he tells us it's not okay to eat. And then they remember Paul and they see that he's a bit different to the other apostles in his time. They ask, did Paul really see Jesus on the Damascus Road? You see, an apostle uh, had to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. Uh, and they keep going. They say uh, he doesn't even accept our financial support and material support like all the other apostles and visiting speakers do. So maybe this poor guy, he's not really an apostle anyway. So as we find our way in uh, chapter 9 today, continuing our series in the Corinthians, 
we're kind of in the middle of a section about uh, eating food sacrificed to idols. That's what you find in chapter 8 and chapter 10. And Paul's addressing a couple of different questions here. I think the passage divides up into two clean sections. Uh, First is verses 1 to 14, and Paul's defending his rights as an apostle here. And then he moves on to verse 15 to 23, and here Paul's, in fact, laying down his rights for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Hopefully we'll go really quickly through the outline, uh, and we're going to look in particular at 19 to 23 and what that means for us today. And when you start reading this, uh, it's pretty clear that Paul starts off with a really defensive mindset. Uh, I remember a time in grade 8 in high school, I I was in a massive defensive mindset. It was the first week of English class. uh, And during class, a teacher came in and she said, I've got a list of students who need to report to the ESL class, or English as Second Language class, immediately. So she's going through this list, and suddenly she says, Joshua 10. And I'm like, what? Are you, are you serious? I can speak English, you know? Uh, English is my first language. I got like HDs in English in my report cards in primary school. I speak English at home. I'm just coming up with defense after defense after defense because I wasn't supposed to go to ESL class. But that's what Paul's kind of doing here in verses 1 to 14. He's really fired up, you see, and he's giving defense after defense. Have a look at verse 1. He asks, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the law, in the Lord. Paul introduces his defense here, and he mentions two signs of his apostleship. He says he's seen the risen Christ, and he also says that the Corinthian church is a result of his own work as an apostle. The church is living proof. He's a seal, it's a seal of his apostleship. If you're not sure, verse 3, Paul keeps going. He says he's in a defensive mood, and now he defends his rights as an apostle. Verses 4 to 6, uh, we're going really quickly. Paul gives three questions. Each question here expects a yes answer. He asks, don't we have the right to food and drink? Yes. Uh, apostles in those days were provided for as they worked in the church. So Paul had the right for this support. Verse 5, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? Yes, apostles uh, traveled with their wives, uh, and the church would support both the apostle and his wife too. Verse 6, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right not to work for a living? See, Paul and Barnabas, they were unique apostles in this way. Uh, They both said no to being supported by the church, and instead they worked a secular job instead. Um, But some of the Corinthians, they were saying, see, He knows he's not an apostle. That's why he makes tents to support himself. But here Paul's trying to say, actually, I am an apostle. I actually have the right to be supported by you guys, just like all the other apostles and speakers get supported. Verse 7 to 14, he keeps going. Uh, He defends the right for apostles to be supported. Again, verse 7, he uses day-to-day illustrations to say, 
workers ought to be supported by their labors. We see this in society. We know about that when we work in this world. And the same applies for apostles. Then he steps it up a notch in verse 8. He appeals to the law of Moses. He says, Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it was written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Uh, here Paul quotes Deuteronomy uh, 25 verse 4, and it's about oxen who are plowing the fields. And the law says, don't muzzle the ox, don't cover its mouth, let it share in some of the grain that it's harvesting. And Paul uses this principle by applying it to gospel workers. He says, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, it was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Uh, some people say Paul's twisting the law here, but he's not. He's actually saying, he's not saying that it was never about the oxen. It's more like he's saying, yep, it's about the oxen, but the same principle here applies for gospel workers. Verse 11, if we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Gospel workers ought to be supported by the church. And this wasn't foreign to the church in Corinth. They would pay massive, exorbitant fees for these traveling speakers and famous orators to come in to their town and to speak in Corinth. And they probably paid Apollos and other Christians to come into their church to speak also. And Paul says, well, don't I have this right too? And even more so, since I planted your church, since I shared the gospel with you guys. I will come back to verse 12, but the defense keeps on going in verse 13 and 14. Paul appeals to the temples, most probably Jewish temples, but maybe also the pagan ones. Uh, the temple servants, uh, they shared in the temple offerings. And the same thing applies here. Workers have a right to be supported. And finally, he concludes with Jesus' command himself. He says, those who preach the gospel receive their living from the gospel, which is probably uh, referring to Jesus sending out his disciples, saying that a laborer deserves his wages. See that Paul has argued, uh, he's defended his apostleship and his right to be supported financially and materially. He's argued from human examples to the law and from temple practices to the words of Jesus himself. And he's saying, I'm an apostle and I do have the right to be supported. It seems like a little sidetrack in the letter. And if we just look at verses 1 to 14, uh, just in itself, we could say that this is a great argument for pastors and missionaries and Christian organizations to be paid. If you listen to 96.5, uh, they were doing their big uh, fundraising appeal this week. And Kids Church, uh, they were raising money this morning for the Bible Society. Or maybe instead of doing these things, they should just repeat Paul's defense here. Just keep repeating 1 to 14 because gospel workers have a right to be supported. But let me tell you what this passage is not saying. It's not to be used by preachers to get an extra few bucks. Uh, we see too many evangelists and preachers around today and they don't just want to be merely supported. 
They want the rich, lavish life as a reward for their gospel work. It's clear that Paul's talking about necessities, supporting for a living, food and drink, not a plane or a million-dollar house or a Ferrari, even though that might be nice. And we'll see soon that this isn't even Paul's point here. Anyway, he's not asking for these guys to pay him. Uh, This isn't the main point, but I think there is a little reminder here uh, for churches to financially support their gospel workers in the church. Uh, We've got three pastors here at Sunnybank and a couple other kind of gospel workers here, and we keep identifying that we need more hands on deck. We saw that at the members meeting today, if you're here. And the church, each and every one of us, we all have a responsibility to make sure that our pastors and our gospel workers are supported financially and materially. Uh, I was listening to a sermon this week uh, from uh, Philip Jensen, and he says that the biggest barrier to gospel work is finances. He says, and I know this, there's heaps of people who are going to Bible colleges. There's heaps of people who'd love to go to college, who'd love to get trained and sent out to schools like Daniel Kiva's or to churches like him also and others, to communities and to places all around the world that need Jesus. But these guys, they either can't afford it themselves or the churches and the missionary organizations, they can't actually support them. So while this isn't the main point here, we're reminded that we do need to support our gospel workers. It's our responsibility corporately as a church and all of us as individuals, from young to old, we all have this responsibility as we partner in God's work. As you see, workers deserve to be paid. But there are some things that are more important than getting paid. Uh, when I was studying in architecture, uh, we all had to do uh, this 10 months work experience before enrolling to fourth year in the master's program. And unfortunately for us, uh, we were looking for work just as the GFC struck. And this was the beginning of 2009. Uh, I was a bit lucky. I found a job pretty quick. I got paid $12 an hour, which is less than what you get paid at Macca's. But one of my friends, uh, she wasn't as lucky. Uh, she couldn't find work for months and months. And she, she actually ended up uh, working full time for the 10 months for free. 10 months, no pay pro bono. Because in the end, she said no to getting paid for something more important, to get into the master's program. And here Paul says no to getting paid for something even more important, for the sake of the gospel. We see this hinted in verse 12. Have a look. It says, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And Paul begins to explain further in verse 15. He says, but I've not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. Remember, Paul has a right to be paid and supported. 14 verses tell us that. But Paul says no to this. He lays down his right. He even says he'd rather die than to have this right. Why? Well, verses 16 to 18 uh, give us a bit of a look. It's a bit tricky, but uh, let's have a look. It says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. 
Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. You see, Paul's boast isn't in preaching the gospel. And this was because he had to preach it. It's not a choice for him. It's what God wanted him to do, what God called him to do, and he's simply doing it. He goes on, What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul's reward and boast is this, to preach the gospel free of charge, to lay down his rights for support, so that he's different from the stock standard orator who comes to Corinth and speaks just for the money. Paul offers his service of preaching the gospel free of charge, matching the message of free grace with a free service, and removing whatever hindrances there was to people hearing the gospel and demonstrating God's unique call, compulsion, and commission on his life to preach Christ. You see, Paul's done a full circle here in these verses. First, he defended his rights to receive support, and now he's explained why he lays down his rights for the gospel. And he does it for the sake of Christ, to win people for Christ. We're not told of the exact details, uh, but we know Paul's purpose so that the saving message of Christ might be preached clearly and without hindrance. Some people make a lot about these verses. Uh, They ask, so does this mean that we shouldn't pay our evangelists? Not really. Does this mean that all outreach events, evangelistic events, should be free? Not necessarily. But what these verses do mean is that we all need to do all we can to proclaim Christ clearly, to hold out the gospel without any barriers or hindrances or obstacles, not just financially, but in all areas of our lives. You see, we need to pull out all stops. We need to do all we can, throw out the kitchen sink in order to win people for Christ. And that's what Paul moves to in verses 19 to 23. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. Here's Paul laying down his rights, becoming a slave to everyone. Even though he's free, even though he's gone to great lengths to defend his rights. And the goal here is to win people for Christ. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Paul would would behave like a Jew and live in line with the law, even though he was free from the law. He didn't have to restrict his diet. He didn't have to go to these festivals. He didn't have to be ritually clean. But he did all these things. The goal, not to abide by the law, but to win people for Christ. He goes on to those not having the law. I became like one not having the law, though I'm not, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Paul would also live like a Gentile, like one set free from the law, but still living for Jesus. He would eat and drink like the Gentiles did when they, he was with the Gentiles. He would do everything he could as long as he didn't compromise Christ. And the goal, 
to win Gentiles for Christ. He says, to the weak, I became the weak, to win the weak. He's most probably talking about uh, Christians who had weak consciences, holding on to food laws and the like, like he's talking about in chapter 8. Paul would uphold them to win them for Christ, to strengthen their salvation in Christ. And then he finishes, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. This is Paul's concluding clincher sentence. This explains why Paul sometimes eats meat and sometimes he doesn't, and why he could say things like, I will never eat meat, even though he's free in Christ. This shows how Paul lived, his purposes, his values, and his goal to see people one for Christ. You see, Paul, he gives up all his rights, his financial support, his freedom to eat and drink anything. He became a slave to all. And he does it for the sake of the gospel, laying down his rights of freedom to live like those around him so that people might be saved and won for Christ. In fact, this is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down his freedom. He lived like us in the world as a man, and he would become a slave and servant to all, so that we can be saved. It's Jesus' example, it's Paul's example. And I think this is the example that Paul wants his readers to understand, that God wants us today to live by, to live it out, to behave, to relate with others, not just for our own benefit, but for the sake of the gospel, to win others for Christ, so that Christ, he's made big, that he's glorious, like we sang before, so that he's front and center. And we can apply this, firstly, inside the church. I remember Paul speaking to Christians, and we're truly free in Christ. But if we think about it, there are many live issues in today's church that relate to our freedom in Christ. Some say we're free on these issues, and it doesn't matter, and others say that it does matter. Things like, Hymns or modern songs, formal or informal dress code, suit and tie for pastors or not, pork and crustaceans or not, flexible order of service for church or a set, a rigid order of service for church, alcohol or not, tattoos and piercings or not, Sabbath rest or not, a traditional church building or not, traditional communion table or not, the list goes on and on and on. And on the one hand, we need to teach and learn and uphold the freedom we have in Christ on these issues. But on the other hand, we need to also uh, put the gospel front and center to be able to lay down our rights and freedoms for each other. To say, I'm free to sing anything, but I will sing hymns if it builds up my brother. I'm free to drink anything but I'll put a rain check on that beer for my sister, for the sake of my sister. I'm free with any building, any style of communion, any table, any type of church service, any dress code, but I'll live with whatever, I'll follow whatever, I'll do whatever for the sake of the gospel. Remember, we're free in Christ, and as we follow Jesus, as we're living God's ways, we also ought to lay down our rights to freedom, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, we've looked internally, but 
uh, we can also apply it externally to the, as, how, as how we relate to the community around us. Now, Paul, he, he doesn't want us to just sit here in church and wait until people set foot in our building before we start reaching out to them. In fact, he says he made himself a slave to everyone, showing that it's an intentional action and Paul's taking the initiative. Paul's kind of like a chameleon. He's going out actively laying down his freedom to win people for Christ. And that's got to be how we approach those who are around us. We need to be interested in those in our community. We need to be interested in our friends and our family. We, and we ought to make ourselves a slave and a servant to them, to win as many of them as possible for Christ. And I'm preaching this to you as much as I am to myself because I have a bunch of non-Christian friends that I need to be more intentional about too, that I need to give my time and my interest thinking about what to do to help win them for Christ and what not to do that might offend them from Christ. And at the same time, I need to grow my desire to see them one for Christ. Uh, one of my examples is uh, a friend from uni back six, six years ago. His name is Rex. Uh, he's in interested in religion, and we've talked about Christianity before. He's borrowed books of me about Christianity. So how am I going to be a servant to him in order to win him for Christ? Well, this guy, I uh, haven't seen him too often, but he always asked me to go out to karaoke with him once every few months. I might like singing, but I don't like karaoke too much, especially Asian karaoke. The songs are terrible, and I can't read the words anyway. But maybe I can be a servant to him with the goal of winning him to Christ. Maybe next time he asks, maybe I will do karaoke. Maybe I'll even like karaoke and sing Asian songs. Maybe I will invest my time and my interest in my friend for the sake of the gospel, in order to have conversations about Jesus, in order to win him for Christ. So what about you? I know that there are people in your lives that need Jesus. Family, friends, colleagues, workmates. I know you know people that need Jesus. But maybe we don't see our relationships that way. Our Kids Club is coming up, uh, and many of us will be rubbing shoulders with kids, with youth, with parents who need Jesus. And we need to invest our time and effort in them, to be slaves and servants, to, to point them to Jesus. Uh, I want us to reflect on two questions as we finish off. The first question is, do you relate to others with a goal of seeing them one for Christ? Do you relate to others with a goal of seeing them one for Christ? If you do, that's great. If you don't, take some time tonight and pray and ask God to instill a desire in your heart for the lost. And second question is, how can you be a servant, a slave to them for the sake of the gospel? How can you be a servant a slave to your friends, your family, your colleagues for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you need to pray for divine opportunities. Think about how you can invest your time and your energies with your relationship with them, what you ought to do to win them from Christ and what you shouldn't do which might offend them from Christ. And most importantly, be ready with the gospel message. Be ready to share Jesus 
of those around us. Because that's what, it, that's what it's all about in the end. Living for the sake of the gospel. Seeing people saved and one for Christ. That's why our church exists. That's why we do stuff like Alpha and Kids Club. And that's what God is doing in the world today. You see, it's not about displaying our right or our freedom in Christ. It's not about being free to eat meat or drink whatever we want or do whatever we want. It's about winning people for Jesus. That's what it's all about. Whether it means acting on our freedom or laying aside our freedom, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, in freedom, in slavery, in servanthood. Paul finishes and he says, I do it all. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Let's pray to this end. Lord God, we thank you for the freedom you've won for us in Christ, that in him we're saved, we're forgiven, we're free, we're righteous, holy, and pure. Help us to use this freedom to win people to Jesus, that we'd serve those around us, that we'd invest in their lives, that we'd love them the way you love us, sacrificially and putting them first. Lord, help us to do all these things for the sake of the gospel, to preach Christ and him crucified, and to offer the hope of salvation we have in Christ alone. Lord, help us not to be a selfish, self-centered, insular church, but Lord, ignite in us a passion for people coming to Jesus and people growing in him. Lord, we pray all these things for your glory, because Jesus lives. We pray these things in his name. Amen.